Hey guys, it's your host Julian. This week I'm sitting down with a guy that wears many hats. He's a stand-up comedian, a voice actor, an animation historian, and he just happens to be the guy that has written my favorite book within animation, The Moose That Roared, the story of Jay Ward, Bill Scott, a flying squirrel, and a talking moose, Mr. Keith Scott. If you want to help support this podcast, you should sign up for our Patreon. That link will be in the show notes, and if you want to throw a few shekels our way, just know it all goes back in the show and helps us get better each week. Now, let's get on to my chat with the great Keith Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian. Today, I'm joined by Keith. Keith, welcome to the show, man. Hi, Julian. How are you? Great to be here. And uh, great to... Uh, I've seen a couple of your podcasts, and I like it. I like it a lot. I love the one with Jerry Beck. Oh, man. Jerry Beck was such a fun guy. And I, I'm, thank right. you for the compliment, for one. For But first off, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not yet, I've talked about this book so many times, so many times throughout so many episodes in the almost three years next week, a week after next, we'll be doing the show for three years. And wow. I've brought up your book on multiple occasions. The Moose That Roared, ladies and gentlemen, the definitive uh, history, yes, history of Jay Ward Productions. So like I said, thank you. Before we hit that, thank you for so much for that book. And I would love to know, why does this book come to you why do you have to write this book this one felt like you had to have this one done out there for the masses to read why was this one so special to you yeah i, I guess so uh, if i think back uh when i was like uh six going on seven i was one of these people who was fatally drawn to um, tv cartoons in a way that uh, anyone who does voices for a living like professionally um and and I'm talking cartoony voices, imitations and crazy characters. Um, you you usually hit at that age. I've spoken with people like Billy West and other people, and and all of them have the same backstory as me. It was seeing either Hanna Barbera or Jay Ward Productions cartoons at that age when TV was just three channels. There was nothing like there is today, of course. And uh, I it took me um, with the Jay Ward stuff, Rocky and His Friends, I think was the first series that they did. And um, it just struck something in me that uh, was like, it It, it, it uh, created that Sherlock Holmes mania for the rest of my life. And, uh, and so as I grew older in high school, I started writing to these people who I saw in the credits. And uh, I wrote to Doss Butler, first of all, because I'd seen him on pictures on of him on the Stan Freeberg double album about Stan Freeberg's radio shows from 57. And he looked human and looked approachable. So I wrote to him and he couldn't have, he ended up uh, as, as his uh, reputation is with everyone as the nicest person ever in the history of the business. And he, he sent me uh, like a seven page letter. I expected like an autograph or something and, uh, and photos and things that I hadn't even asked for and gave me advice about, uh, I was only 17, I think, and he gave me advice about how to do accents and things like that. And it was like lessons from the master I hadn't even asked for. And that, and then he sent me the, also, um, when I told him I didn't know who Bill Scott did the voices of, he told me it was Bullwinkle and Dudley Do-Right and all of this because he'd only taken a producer credit. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't listed in the uh, list of voice actors. And of course, he was the main one. And so he gave me his address and June Foray's address. And that started my mania where... These people, strangely enough, I always say, my mother used to say when I was a kid, these people will be too busy to answer you, you know, (laughs) but they couldn't have been nicer. And I think um, there must have been something in my letter that wasn't like a normal fan letter. There there must have been a degree of knowledge or something. I can't remember. But uh, they took me seriously. And uh, and eventually June Foray was responsible, believe it or not, for getting me to work in in, um, American uh, movies, uh, doing voices. Uh, that that story will come in a few minutes. 
but that's how it, really how it started. And when I met Bill Scott, I won a trip to Hollywood in 1973, just as I was getting my feet wet in the business. And I have to precede this by saying, again, it's like fate was looking down on me favorably. Um, in 72, I had a just graduated high school and had an office job, you know, making my mind up as to whether to do a course in, in law at university. And uh, really, I had been bitten by this showbiz bug. Uh, of course, at that age, people like me had no idea how to get into it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I met a girl at this office job and she said uh, she knew somebody in Hanna-Barbera. I thought she was talking about in Hollywood, you know. And um, it turns out they had just opened a branch in Sydney like two months before. And she said, and there's this white haired guy, Hannah, I think, running it. And I, I my my head did another explosion. So I... I um, I calmed down and my my um, folks told me to, you know, approach it methodically. And I took my letters from Dawes Butler, his chief voice, you know, Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear and all of that with me. And Bill Hanner um, just immediately grasped it because he said when I he said when I was your age uh, and I was 18, um, he said he got a job at the Harmonizing Cartoon Studio in Hollywood in 1930, where they did the first ever Looney Tunes. And uh, he said he was he he recognized in me the same enthusiasm that Doris Butler had recognized. So he said, do you want to do voices? And I said, yeah, but I haven't got an agent or anything. He said, well, how about I give you a job around the office and you can learn about the whole cartoon industry? So I did, you know, I jumped at that and um, it was seasonal. I, I think I, I lasted about nine months and then there was a layoff. But he gave me a reference on paper, like a to whom it may concern. And um and praised my my pretty um, uh, amateurish uh, voice demo from back in 1972 and put his signature at the bottom, William Hanna, this world-famous cartoon executive, and that got me an agent straight away. So that was fate looking down on me. And then six months later, it looked down on me again because there was a contest in the local TV Guide magazine, which was a winner trip to Hollywood in 25 words or less. And I mentioned about doing all these voices, and I think they they thought my entry was so un unusual that that they let me win it. <laughs> it was three weeks in Hollywood and uh, I got to meet all these people that knew about me via letters, old fashioned snail mail, you know? So I met Jay Ward and I met Bill Scott and went to lunch with all of them and they were taking me far more seriously. And that's when Bill Scott said to me in 1973, um, I gave him some lists of some of the cartoons. He said, this is more comprehensive than some of the records we've got back at the office across the street. He said, he said, I predict one day you'll write a book about us. And of course I, you know, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but boy, did it come true. <laughs> you know, the only, the only disappointing thing to me is that uh, by the time it was published, Bill Scott had been gone for 14 years. So he didn't get to yeah. see it. Uh, he died very suddenly. I think he was only, just 65 when he when he mm -hmm. passed away that, of course that's way too young by today's standards uh but boy what he had accomplished in really setting up that whole thing about uh that you people like yourself recognize is that that those jay ward cartoons in my opinion really were the top ones of that era only because you look back now and they were like 30 years ahead of their time in being like the simpsons of their day you know they mm -hmm. were so they worked I, I can always remember saying to people that um uh, I, I loved it as a kid would love it, but I got frustrated if my, my um, parents were in the room and they laughed at some joke that I knew <laughs> I didn't, I knew I'd get in, in like 10 years. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was another source of fascination. And then around about that same time, 
I also got interested in uh, this this burgeoning nostalgia market of these big LP records of old time radio shows, and I made the connection that William Conrad, the voice of the narrator of Rocky and Bullwinkle, is appearing in all these old radio. So I became a fanatic collector of all these shows to hear all. Really, I started out um, collecting them just to get the voices of the cartoon people, but then I, of course, I became a full time collector because I recognised the the uh, quality of uh, of good old time radio. I mean, like like every media, like films, like everything, there was a lot of dross as well as the good stuff. But boy, the good stuff with Orson Welles and classic people like that was great, you know. Um, so again, I became um, a cartoon buff, an old an old movie buff from the classic era, and an old time radio buff, all in this same period. And it's become this, like, like I guess I created my own monster. You know, it's been <laughs> here. It is forty years later, and I'm still as fanatically interested in all of it as I as I ever was. Dude, you've lived so many lives in the one life you have, man. Uh, it is. It's, it's bizarre, you know. And I, I, I keep thinking, um, boy, am I lucky because I, I look back and I, I think at the time I didn't realize how blessed I was. Bill Hanna. Doris Butler, uh, Paul Freeze, all these top names in, in the business. I got to know them intimately, personally, you know, uh, as as uh, as a fan and then as a kind of like they became my mentors, you know. I, I, I remember Paul Freeze's agent called me up in when I was in Hollywood saying, now he's going to be down at Radio Recorders, which is one of the oldest studios in Hollywood at the time. And he said, uh, he's doing a Jolly Green Giant commercial if you want to go and meet him in person. And of course, I... I raced down there on foot, not knowing how far the distances were in Hollywood. <laughs> but I got there and he recognized me because he knew I was the guy who had just written to him. And and with Paul Freeze, uh, who was the voice of Boris Badenoff for your for your um, interested listeners, um, he, he was regarded as somebody who was a bit standoffish. But with me, he couldn't have been nicer again. And... Um, so I saw him at this session and he recognized I was the guy he had just had, I think one of the world's first ever home studios built in his house in 72. And he sent me a reel to reel a, a tape uh, to my letter, you know, and, and here, here's that great voice, the narrator of Dudley do right cartoon saying to my good friend, Keith Scott, all the way down in Australia, who told you I wouldn't reply? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I was getting this um this uh, blessed thing that I look back now and think, you know, I didn't realize how lucky I was, but it really what it did was Bill Hanna got me started working in Australia in the voiceover industry. At the same time, I was also enamored of all of the old um, stand-up impressionists on the Ed Sullivan show, you know, the, the people like Frank Gorshin. Yeah, and uh, Rich Little and Will Jordan, all these people, mainly because, again, like cartoon voices, seeing impressionists when I was a young kid made me think that's another aspect of using the human voice to uh, achieve a comedy result or a, or a, like a cartoon character, except you're, you're entertaining a live audience. So once my career took off in the um, mid-70s, I began a pattern for the next 35 years of doing voiceovers during the week monday to friday and then on weekends i'd be working in clubs on a stage in front of an audience doing all these impressions so it was like a jekyll hyde existence but <laughs> it 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 did trigger uh this this historic interest that i've got and that that is really why the book tends to be a 
In fact, the funny thing is, even though you praised the book, and I'm so appreciative of that, there there was a degree of um, an understandable criticism when it came out. A lot of the people said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, this is, this is really," but it's it's too much info. <laughs> no such thing. No such yeah, well, thing. When it comes to history, <laughs> I want to know it all. That's why I do this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you 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 said something that that I don't I don't think. I don't think I've heard it because whenever I have people come on, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm so sorry. You have to hear this again. Whenever you guys come on, I, I try to go and watch any interview you guys have done, listen to anything you've done. That way I have a mm -hmm. basic understanding of, you know, I'm not going to ask him that because he's been asked that 14 times the last three sure. interviews yeah. I've watched. You know what I mean? Plus, it's right. just stale. It's no fun. You know, you guys want to have fun when you come on and I want to have fun, too. Um, sure. But. The fact that you wrote letters, which you said in your book, you know, that's how you that's how you came to Hollywood. That's, and yeah. what is so fascinating about that, and why I bring it up is that's kind of how this podcast started. I was just mm -hmm. happening. It was during COVID. I just happened to watch one of my not one of my favorite movie of all time, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the 1990s with the Jim <laughs> Henson production suits, right? The live guys in the suits. Right. I'm watching this movie and I just happened to look up. And I see a name that I've I've watched this movie thousands of times, right? When I was a kid, I right. burnt this DVD or not DVD, excuse me. I burnt this VHS out on multiple VHS, occasions. Yeah. Yep. So I just happened to look up when I was cooking or cleaning and I see a name I've never seen. I was like, man, I wonder. So I just Google it. Finds out he's 45 minutes down the street from me. He passed away wow. a couple years prior, the year prior. Um, and mm. then they had written up an article about him. So I was reading the article and I was like, I want to know more about this guy. Why don't I, why haven't I never heard this name before? And at the right. bottom of that, the guy that wrote it in the, uh, the article in the newspaper, it had his phone number in there. So I just, out of, you know, just I, let's, let's try it. Like, let's call, let's mm. see what happens. He picks sure. up or no, excuse me. Okay. It doesn't pick up. I leave him a voicemail and he calls me back. Sorry. Sorry. And uh, we talk and I was like, man, this is a really cool story. I'm a huge turtle fan. Come to find out the guy that wrote the article didn't really like the turtles. His young sons love the Ninja Turtles like everybody my age. Yeah. Um, right. And he was like, here's the number to his manager. Give him a call and see what happens. That mm -hmm. led to me wanting to do a podcast about Ninja Turtles. Stuff fell through like life kind of happens. Life throws a monkey wrench in your plans and then you got to sure, adjust yeah. and you know reengage, right? So right. that's how I started doing animation. But it was just that natural curiosity of yeah. wanting to yeah. know who that person was on the credits and why they had such a huge part that's in my, my exactly childhood. Exactly like me. That's you, yeah, yeah. you, you have that same bug uh, bugging you. Yeah, I know mm -hmm. exactly what you mean. Um, did you eventually uh, contact anyone uh, over the years about your interest in Ninja Turtles? Because, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. A, lot, a lot of them are still around and still love talking about that experience. I mean, like that, uh, that they do. Yeah. Um, I I think from memory, when it was a big thing, and it was around 89, 90, um, I was, did a couple of commercials where obviously back in those days, not only was ISDN expensive, you know, there was no Zoom, but uh, it would have been prohibitive for them to hire the original actors. So I can't do it anymore. It's been so long, but for I did for about a year. I did some of the turtles' voices in animated commercials yeah. here, <laughs> just cashing in on the fact that it was a huge franchise. It was oh, I, I do cool. remember I, I kind of mastered Cowabunga, you know <laughs> that that Californian <laughs> sort of dialect. <laughs>
That's so cool. I've, I actually had uh, I had a couple of them on. My first episode was with Rob Paulson. I'm pretty sure you. It's yeah. the name I was thinking of. Yep, that's yeah, right. Rob Rob Paulson. Um, I've had two of the original four. Um, they were just right. at the Orlando uh, Comic Con here a couple weeks ago, oh, and so was Kevin right. Eastman. I've had I've had a few right. of them on from different iterations, from comic books to cartoons. Um, right. I mean, I'll, I'll send you some pictures after we get off this call. Like yeah, I've sure. got the turtles sitting above me. I've got them tattooed on my <laughs> arm. I mean. It's it was I mean, I drew drew them back on the wall back there, you know, so it's it's just this fascination of these things. It's just like it came into my life when I was really, really young and it never really left me. And now that I have kids um, and Mm -hmm. with that new Ninja Turtle movie that just came out uh, a couple months back, I was sitting there and getting to see the same exact thing my mom saw when she saw the Ninja Turtle bug bite me. I'm sitting there and we're in the movie theater and my two year old son, Cooper, he's sitting there with me. And usually I wait until they're like five, six years old before I take them to the movie theater because most of the time they don't want to watch a movie. They want to get up and play. But him, he was so excited because the turtles, he just found out who the turtles were like six months ago, right? Or six months prior. And he's sitting there. He sees the trailer, right? When we're in a different movie theater, he's like jumping out of his seat, naming every single turtle. I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, they're going to kick us out. And everybody that was in the theater was just looking back and smiling at him. Like, who else? Who else? They were trying to get names out of him. I'm like, all right, well, this is cool. Then the movie comes out and I'm sitting there and I'm watching him watch the movie. And it was Mm -hmm. the wildest thing because I, like I said, I got to see what my mom saw in me. Yeah, exactly. I found the turtles, you know, it was just such a cool and surreal experience. It becomes intergenerational. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh man, does it, it passes down Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, the family jewels or any kind of, you know, family (laughs) heirloom type of thing. But uh, speaking of that moment, that surreal moment, when Mm -hmm. I want to circle back to, to what you were saying, when you're on that plane ride, when did it feel real, I guess, is what I'm getting at. When you win that contest to go to Hollywood and meet all of right. these folks, at what point does it does it feel real? Does it still feel fake? I mean, what what when did it happen? It was I was uh, I can vaguely uh, conjure up the uh, emotions that it felt like back in 1973 because uh, um, I had let some of them know that I'd won this mm-hmm. contest uh, after, a, I think, a five-week lag before we flew. And so they were expecting me. And and so I didn't really feel too much trepidation because by then uh, I'd had a couple of letters from most of them, especially Bill Scott. And um, and uh, and so I'd also, June Foray had put me onto a, a, another voice actor there in Hollywood who was more my generation called Corey Burton. Um, when he was still in high school, he had also become like me, unbeknownst to me, he'd become another Jay Ward fanatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, about voices and so um i was about a year and a half older than him and uh she made us into uh what used to be called pen friends you know in the old yeah. day uh, male pen days <laughs> yeah now now it'd be like you know going back and forth on facebook every day but uh <laughs> but we, we, back then it was these very studious late teenage letters about all of the history of jay ward productions that we knew up till then and our our opinions on all sorts of things and we became friends and um and so when my my parents accompanied me because it was a trip for two, you know, and so my, both my parents came with me to Hollywood just to see it. But they were like tourists; they were off doing their own thing. And every morning, I uh, caught a bus from the um, Holiday Inn in Hollywood down to Jay Ward Productions. And um, the best person I met there was a guy called Skip Craig, who's in the credits as the editor, and you'll see him quoted many times throughout the book, the history, um, because he was also. Um, 
one of the leading collectors of old time radio. And, and again, like us, he had a childhood fascination. Uh, he loved the um, Spike Jones and the city slickers, the crazy mm. musicians, you know, the Fuhrer's face and all of those great. And um, as a young guy, he, he ended up being such a super fan of them that he was traveling with them around their gigs and that all over America back in like 1950. And so again, when I walked into here, because the, Jay Ward's wife told me, oh, you should go to the little studio back here. This is our, our main office. You'll meet Skip Craig. He's the guy who does all these old radio cassettes and things that we sell here at the Dudley Do-Right shop. So again, like Bill Scott and Doris Butler, they recognized in me and, and same as Rob Paulson would have recognized in you that the passion was there and, uh, yeah. and immediately took to me. And he became one of the most helpful people I've ever met in Hollywood. He, he would mention me to Jay Ward and all of these people. He's, oh, you got to use this guy. You know, one day he's going to take over these voices. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I can do them much better now than I did them then. But he must have recognized that I had the spark there, you know. Because I, I I know probably embarrassingly I walked around his office um, and he said, well, do some for me. So, hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my head. Nothing up the sleeve. Presto. You know, and doing all this and probably being a little obnoxious as a late teen. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. It worked for me. <laughs> Who was easier to slip in back then? And obviously you've been doing it for so long now. It's probably just second right. nature. But back then, yes. who was easier to slip into, Rocky or Bullwinkle? Oh, well, I never did Rocky because that was June Foray, a female voice. Um, well, yeah, uh, but I got to figure you tried it, though. Did you Did you ever oh, try sure. it? Did you ever I get probably, close? I probably tried to say uh, that old trick. You know, it's like a falsetto <laughs> thing. But uh, <laughs> no, I think um, in those days, I, I, I'd say Bullwinkle probably was the easiest so many people can do a bullwinkle because it is but bill scott told me you know he said a lot of people a lot of people do them like this like a dumb guy he said he said and he's the guy who invented the voice he said no he said no he said bullwinkle was a smart goof he said that's the way i look at him so he talks very quickly like an intelligent person does except he's got that voice uh and the other one that i used to do um was his other star character was Dudley Do-Right of the Mounties. And that one took a, a little longer because it was a tight voice. You know, it's like, Dudley Do-Right of the Mounties. Snidely whiplash. <laughs> How dare you foreclose mortgages? <laughs> so, I, it, Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just saying that all of these voices became a passion for me. All the old Hanna-Barbera ones. Yogi Bear, Mr. Ranger, sir. <laughs> you know, so... Each each of the people who I knew who originated those voices, even Dawes Butler said to me, "Oh, you've you've got old Yogi." He said, "You'll you'll be doing that one when I'm gone." You know, they said it jokingly and and affectionately, but uh, boy, it came true. <laughs> it's it it's so wild because it's I've said it so many times on this podcast. It there's nothing like a voice from a cartoon that you've heard as right. a kid, uh, yeah. a smell of your favorite food that your mom would make yep. you when you were growing up. You know, there's these sensory overloads that we have yeah. that that can instantly transport us back 20, 30, oh, yeah. 40, 50 what, years. What did what did T.S. Eliot, the famous old writer, call? He said he called that that phenomenon an objective correlative, <laughs> <laughs> like a favorite smell that takes you back, or a, or a, the smell of a book or something. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's just wild because. You know, Rocky and Bullwinkle, much like yourself, came into my life very young too, right? Mm -hmm. I remember yeah. the first time I ever saw Rocky and Bullwinkle, I've always been a, a person that just does not sleep much. I maybe get three, four hours of sleep a night. I just, right. I have yeah. a hard time turning my brain off. It's just like, I think yeah. about everything I that I'm going to do the I next day. You know what I mean? 
Oh, and yeah. I would channel surf at night and channel surf means I would jump from 34, 35 and 36. The 34 was Nickelodeon. 35 was Disney and Thursday, uh, 36 was Cartoon Network. And right. most of the time, right. the the Rocky and Bullwinkle shows were playing on late night Cartoon Network. So 1231 yes. o'clock, yes. you know, I would turn it on and Jay Ward Productions would be showing Rocky and Bullwinkle. And I just remember looking that I love Peabody and Sherman. That was my favorite. Yes. I'm a huge history fan. I love oh, history. Yeah. And yeah. just seeing that was just so interesting. And then I went from watching cartoons like Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry earlier in the day to mm -hmm. seeing this different style of animation, yeah. these different oh, voices, yeah. these just different characters. And I'm like, this is some of the most interesting shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I'm sitting here watching this. I'm like, why doesn't all the kids know about this? Like my grandparents yeah. knew about it because my mom watched yeah. it as a kid. You know what I mean? Or right. my mom would see it and shit. You know, so it, it like yep. I'm sitting here watching this and it's like I said, such a fascination. And then it mm -hmm. wasn't until a little bit later when I can buy or see the the, you know, on streaming sites or buy the DVDs or find them on reruns. That's and I right. really start watching and then I read your book and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about how much I loved staying up late yeah. and watching this yeah. show. You know, <laughs> it was such a fascinating, uh -huh. fascinating studio. And one of the stories I, I went back and reread a couple of times in your book was the fact that Jay Ward almost wasn't Jay Ward. You know, that whole thing mm. where he got hit by a, was yeah. it a van or a, or, a, or a car, a truck? Well, it was a, you know? a very large truck went out of control down a steep hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And, uh, to think almost that killed that him, basically. Went a little, yeah, well, if he would have died, you know, we don't get that. We don't get George the Jungle. We don't get the yeah. Captain Crunch guy. You we know don't what I mean? get it's, all of those things. Yeah. It's wild yeah. when you think about it. Just something that's so small that yeah. could have happened and completely changed the, oh, yes. the, the, the course of history. All right, as we take a pause for the cause, if you haven't yet, you should check us out on all social media platforms by searching at In My Head Pod. There you can see who we've got coming on, and if you feel so inclined to, you could submit a question to be asked. Now, let's get back to the show. Yes, we would have had Hanna Barbera, for instance, but no. See, that I always, I don't, I couldn't put it into words when I was a kid, but uh, it there was something more indefinable about the J Ward. Uh, things whether it was based on his earlier one crusader rabbit which didn't have the spark of his later stuff but it set the template for all of that thing about a narrator and a serial mm -hmm. that was continued chapter by chapter really according to bill scott was just you know we were just extending the old radio tune in next time and you know keep yeah. you in suspense sort of thing but um uh you know it's so funny that uh, there is now a new generation, even younger than yourself, who are discovering these cartoons now that you've got these Facebook pages. And as dated as some of the references are, you know, the stuff still works. That's yes. the weird thing. And I, I remember just seeing recently a clip of some old Bullwinkle cartoon that uh, it's almost like um, in the era of Trump and Biden, um, it, it was a, a just one of those little throwaway gags they did in one of the Rocky episodes where it cut to a politician who was who had obviously been affected by goof gas, and um, and the joke just works like to it sounds like it was written today by a, by mm -hmm. a really good comedian, uh, like it was written in 1962, and this this old senator gets up in in Congress and says. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I propose a bill uh, that we set aside $35 billion to find out why the government spends so much money. <laughs> 
and that's in a kid's cartoon you know <laughs> no wonder no wonder all the adults were laughing at it i i, I remember once um seeing in the 1960s uh i i was in the city of sydney for when i used to go to an orthodontist and i must have only been in my teens but i, I saw a newspaper um reference to bullwinkle at a news newsstand and it was an from an american column and the guy was saying you know television in the in the 1960s is pretty ordinary uh he said apart from walter cronkite and bullwinkle i don't even have my set on <laughs> so even back then it was like recognized as something oddball and special did uh there's something i wanted to ask you um was crusader rabbit done before the accident with jay ward No, no, it was done after as he was recovering. Mm. Oh, you've got me now. Yes, it was. It was done because it was he had the accident on the opening day of his real estate business. And uh, as he was recuperating, his friend Alex Anderson, with whom he went to high school, he, he was the animator. Alex Anderson came and visited him in the hospital and told him about his idea for a limited animation TV thing. And Jay Ward had always loved um showbiz and performance even though he, he wasn't a performer himself uh and he had a business degree and he wanted to do something to do with showbiz at some point in his life um and so he, he as as alex anderson said i mentioned this this concept of a cartoon series to him and he came out of the water like a trout he said i i didn't exp i thought maybe he'd say no nah, i'm not interested but uh no it uh so yeah yeah that's uh but it was very it was basically like one year after his near fatal accident uh they had uh, crusader rabbit in production it's so, it's a uh, fascinating yeah. thing because uh mm -hmm. there's there's a couple stories that i've heard over the last few years um about head trauma right so mm -hmm. obviously if you're getting hit by a, heart, a car or a truck you're going to get your noodle rattled quite a bit oh yeah and yeah. there's two comedians in particular that i've heard this story from that completely changed the, them as a person after they had a car accident mm -hmm. roseanne right. Barr, when she was uh, a kid yeah. she was struck by a car and she was put into an oh. insane asylum for like six seven months she forgot how to count she was a straight a student a math whiz before she went she was hit with a car and then she that. just yeah yeah she she said it on the uh joe rogan podcast she had talked about it uh, right. and then there was another guy i don't know if you um you ran around in the comic strip, so you might ah shit. My brother Sam, I can't think of his name. I can see his face. Um, right, big guy, That's trench Sam coat. Kennison. Sam Kennison. Thank you. I couldn't yeah, think of yeah. his last name. I Same concept. He was, uh, he's he, um, a marvelous comedian. Yeah. Oh man, he brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, what he did on the Rodney Dangerfield specials. Yeah, you know, that, I, I got thing to see about him being in the desert away. and feed the people in the desert, and that it was just he had me just rolling around with tears coming out of my eyes, and it was like outrageous the approach he took and i'm sure he he would be canceled within two minutes oh, in today's culture a hundred percent but the same thing with him he yeah. was a very shy very quiet yeah. very mild-mannered kid yeah same concept he gets hit by a car and smacks his head on the ground and completely wow. changes him there's a book called my brother sam um, or brother oh. Sam, excuse me, that his brother wrote about him after he passed away. And he talks about that. And it's, and it's one, I was wondering if, if, if the Crusader Rabbit was done prior to the, uh, to the accident, because I wonder if something like that just really did something to his head where he's like, oh man, it completely changed his focus. It completely changed the trajectory of his life. 
I think I think it gave him a sense of fatalism. I know that because um, he was happy to try this uh, experiment in show business, even though he was basically a, an MBA from Harvard and and that mm-hmm. was going to open a real estate business. Uh, I think the um, according to some of the people, if you read the J Ward chapter, uh, there are childhood friends I've I've got to. So I think nearly everyone I interviewed for that book is gone now because it was is written so like twenty three years ago, but. Uh, they all said uh, as a young guy, he loved comedy, he loved performing and uh, people who did performances and so on. He was a great admirer, like a producer. Um, a successful producers are often great appreciators of talent. Uh, they don't try and interfere, you know, and, and make notes for people. They, they appreciate them. And, and then they surround those people with the, with the best talents to help the show. Well, that's how he, he operated. And I think, uh, as you say, the head trauma probably, um, determined him that uh, well if i don't do this now i think that somebody's sending me a message that you know i'm i'm on another path like yeah. he i i have met people who said he was so smart you know having graduated harvard that he kept his real estate business running all through the j ward productions years you know just in case it was like the old thing about <laughs> you gotta have something to fall back on <laughs> go to college and get that degree just yeah, in case that, exactly. that that passion project doesn't work out now, yeah. with all of the folks that you got to to interact with and hang out with and talk with and really converse right. and, and grow, because like you said, you you know they started your career in the mm-hmm. uh, in, in that industry with those folks. Um, one name I I keep wanna I keep wanna circle back to, and then we'll go to the others, man. But uh, Bill Hanna, he's come right. up quite right. a few quite a few uh, times before throughout a couple of my chats because I've had a lot of folks on that have had some firsthand experience with them. But when right. you think of Bill, obviously he wrote you that that recommendation, that letter uh, yeah. that yeah. got you an agent, and you know really opened some doors for you. With you mm-hmm. walking around that uh, that building for I think you said six or nine months, whatever it was, I uh, did. was it nine yeah. months? Yeah. yeah, about nine months. Yeah, about nine months. What what was your favorite story? That you did you get to talk to Bill very much? I mean, I got to imagine you you ran into him a few times. A few times, although he was very busy because uh, his whole thing was he wasn't. He, unlike Joe Barbera, he wasn't an artist. He mm. worked in in animation. Uh, he he was uh, one of these people who specialized in timing. So he worked with the exposure sheets in the old days of of cell animation, and uh, his sense of timing and um, and where to cut dialogue and where to. Uh, but he also had been trained as a musician as a kid. So he uh, he wrote a lot of the oddball um, theme songs with uh, Hoyt Curtin. I think his name was. And um, you'd hear Bill Hanna's influence in things like that Flintstones, very early Flintstones episode where it was uh, the happy anniversary and they're all sitting around the piano going, happy anniversary, happy, you know. And that's that's him as one of the singers in that. That was a, a childhood thing with him. He learned piano and uh, and he was very musical. He wrote a lot of lyrics in cartoons in the 1930s when they used to be much more musical. And so um, he told me a few things like that and told me... Um, you know, when he first met Doris Butler and what he thought of Paul Fries and all of these people, um, whatever questions I knew enough about back then to ask him, and I'm talking 1972, God, my knowledge has increased so much. I'd, I, I'd want to ask him many more things now if he was still with us. But he, he again, he was a very nice, he had a really measured way of talking. You know, he'd always answer a question like, I believe that when I first saw... Das Butler, you know, he'd talk like that. Uh, and uh, as a fa- matter of fact, um, 
one of his animators, Tony Benedict, uh, got me to do an impression of Bill Hanna for a little <laughs> film he was going to make, an animated tribute to the days of Bill and Joe's. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so he was he was just a great guy, but very busy, you know, very busy. And uh, but then when I got to Hollywood uh, after he'd returned, it was like twelve months later, and. Uh, Doris Butler called him up and said, "Hey, guess who's in town? That kid who who was working around your office in Sydney. He invi- he called me up where I was staying at Corey Burton's house, and he invited us to a session of Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. You know the <laughs> the uh, cartoon with voiced by Tom Bosley from Happy Days. And um, so again, this was like, well, I'm in a foreign land to me, but here I am, and all these." bigwigs are getting me to come and watch a session it's like uh, when is all this going to stop <laughs> it was always that fear that you know i'm 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 getting too lucky you know <laughs> but i think i think as i said it boils down to that fact those people that you admire recognize that you have this passion and knowledge about them and it, it's actually i look back now that i'm a senior age and i can see that it was flattering to them you know yeah yeah I think Bill Scott put it that way. He said, uh, "He said uh, a lot of a lot of these guys, you know, they they get a bit threatened by you at first because uh, uh, you hit them with all of this stuff that they'd forgotten about, and then when they go away and think about it, they say, my God, they start telling their friends this guy.' He, goes, <laughs> he was he was telling me things I'd forgotten. <laughs> now, so, when when you're over here for the first time, uh, I mean, well. Right. That was your first time coming to America. Was that that trip you won for Hollywood? Yep, yep. In '73. That's right. What do you remember about that first time touching down in America? Does anything stick out to you? Is like, holy shit, they do this over here? Probably everything. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, everything <laughs> in those days was on a much bigger scale because Australia was uh, a smaller population than it is now. And so, but because I'd spent my whole life watching old black and white films from the '30s up through the 50s and 60s i kind of knew a lot about americana and also having been a a mad magazine person for all Mm -hmm. of my life uh, and stuff so i i I felt a real affinity with the usa i don't know why but i just did and uh and that has also not stopped it's like uh i often say when i go to to um, the town of hollywood i can sort of smell the history of the town in the air going back to the you know like the silent days, there was that great series called uh, Hollywood by Kevin Brownlow. Um, I, I get a sense of that. And I, I know a couple of other people like the movie director, David Lynch, he said the same thing. Like uh, he's such a fan of of old Hollywood that he gets that sense of the whole history when he, when he moved there, he had to move there to live, you know, <laughs> but uh, because I had the um, quite early on, I had a career that started to work for me in voiceovers in Sydney. And I really started getting more and more work. And I thought, well, I'm not going to nip this in the bud and move to Hollywood where there's much more competition, you know. Um, so it just became a place that I visited once a year when I could afford to, um, while those great heroes of mine were still with us. Mm-hmm. That began in 79. I'd had a few good years of starting to really build a name here in Sydney. And I could afford to go once a year I suppose they used to call them fact-finding missions um, to Hollywood and still see Doris Butler and Bill Scott and all of these greats, June Foray, for the next 10 years before old age started catching up with them and they started dying off, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, 
yeah as you as you as you asked it really was uh, it was it was something i was already familiar with but it, it gave me that sense of excitement i'm actually in the in this land that's fascinated me all my life and and here here i'm i'm determined not to let this trip be a failure and well from day one uh everything started happening on that three-week trip i i went multiple times to jay ward's studio and things like that so you know it was almost like you could you could say um you were the one it was meant to happen to you know without <laughs> you were the chosen the one yeah you were the chosen <laughs> yeah, one is that's what it was right yeah, I mean, if we want to get like that yeah that's right <laughs> now there's a name that you i want to circle back to as well because I, mm -hmm. i've heard so many great stories i've had billy west on here i had him on my first year probably like episode right. 10 or 11 he's a great guy oh dude he is right there's so many people that I've I've gotten so extremely lucky to chatting with that were literally and figuratively and physically pieces of my childhood. That's why I do this podcast, man. Right. I bring people a piece of their childhood every week. Or at least I try to. Yes, and yes, Billy yes. West was one of them. Rob Paulson. You're talking like Ren and Stinky. Yeah. Well, no, uh, actually, Doug, right. Doug and Fry from Futurama were oh, like yes, the first voices I yeah. heard, Um, you know, from from Billy. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Rob damn near did every damn character I've, I've, I've ever loved. You know, you can literally just throw a dart at a wall and then he's he's done it, you yes. know, um, and such a kind person too, man. I couldn't I couldn't ask yeah. for a sweeter person when I first met him. But um, yeah, Billy West was just such a really nice person. And he, I, I don't know if we talked about it on air mm -hmm. or off air because it was so long ago. But he had so many great stories about June Foray, and he wasn't the only one. I've heard so many, you know, stories off air about yeah. June Foray. But when you think of that name, what comes to right. mind when you think about June? Well, not only the 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 uh, the the fact that she was the female version of somebody like Paul Frees doing all those great voices in Frank mm -hmm. and fairy tales that I recognized as a kid used to make me laugh. That battle axe voice that she did, like <laughs> Ma Kettle out of the old Ma and Pa Kettle films, um, which was my favorite voice that she did. You know. Know, like an ugly fairy godmother or something um but she was also as as i wrote to her a year after i wrote to doris butler um again one of the nicest people so when i met her um and she had already put Corey burton and me as these uh, pen friends um she picked me up at the holiday inn and took me to a chuck jones session this, this is that same trip that's uh, so cool yeah, yeah, it was one of those specials he was doing in the in the early seventies, like the Lorax or uh, Horton. Here's a Who, one of those sort of uh, Doctor Seuss. Seuss things. Yeah, and uh, and then like she she just again was just so down to earth. And then years later, like after I'd started to be very successful doing my uh, career here, I was on one of my trips there, and um, it was in ninety one. So Jay Ward had just died about 18 months before and on a whim i'd done a whole demo of the voices just on the off chance that they would ever revive the characters and i did this demo and i took it and show you how long ago this was it was on a cassette you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh and june foray had taken Corey burton and myself to dinner one night because we'd known her all these years and she was just uh by then still working really regularly back in the uh, early 90s but getting a little older and uh and um so i i gave her this cassette and obviously the voices on it must have impressed her you know the, the bullwinkle and i did dudley and inspector fenwick and all of these characters the narrator and uh, she played them 
when she went home, she I found out the next day that uh, when she went home, uh, she played them over the phone, held the phone up to this old cassette deck that she had and played them to her agent, who was a guy called Don Pitts, who was Paul Fries's agent and all these people. And here's the, here's the next one of these fate looking down on me things. I'm staying again at the Holiday Inn on Highland and Hollywood. And I get a phone call from this guy, Don Pitts, who had this funny high-pitched little voice. Hey, uh, hey Keith, uh, John Frey gave me this, uh, played this tape for me last night. I'd like to, I'd like to represent you here in Hollywood. And I like, after I fainted and got up off the floor, then I find out he's right across the road from the hotel I'm staying in, in this, Jesus. in this old building. It's, this is weird. It's like, <laughs> so thanks to June Foray, this is what I meant when I said that she really started my career doing voices in, in the U S because uh, in those days he would, he would recommend me for jobs and, uh, we do them by this new technology ISDN, which is similar to zoom, I guess, but it was like a professional sound. You did sound like broadcast quality in the same room, 14,000 miles away, but uh, ended up, you know, that Jay Ward, Tiffany Ward, Jay's daughter heard the same cassette that I did. Thanks to June Foray. And she started appointing me the voice that she wanted for some of the characters. But I started out being appointed as Boris Badenov because they weren't happy with some of the people who were doing Boris, you know. And um, so, again, I uh, to circle back to your question, June Foray was pivotal to me, but also just, again, like Doris Butler, one of the most down-to-earth and nicest people that you'd ever, you'd ever want to meet. Very, very little pretense. She, was, she loved what she did. She was like Mel Blanc. Um, you know, uh, if she didn't have a gig, she'd ring her agent up and say, get me an effing job, you know, like, like, uh, <laughs> because it was in her blood by then, you know, the old thing about you, you, you've got to keep doing it. Even if you, even if she had made enough money to never need to re to work again, she still wanted to work, you know? Oh, that's, uh, that's so cool, yeah. man. Thank you for sharing those stories. Oh, no um, problem. When, when you're writing this book, do you remember what year you started writing and gathering all the, obviously you're gathering all the information from all the chats you're talking to with all these people, but when you sure, really yeah. set out to say, I want to write this book, do you remember what year that was? Yeah, it was almost exactly 10 years before it was published in 1990. I, I sent a letter to Jay Ward's wife, Billy, uh, or her real name was Ramona, um, saying that, uh, you may not know me, but, uh, I, I mentioned all of Jay's voice people who knew me, and told her a little bit about what I do and said, if ever you are considering a book, and because it had been about a year since her husband had died. And, and so mm. she was over the worst aspect of that. I said, uh, I would, I would dearly love to. Uh, and then I found, I found out that the, some guy who worked at the museum of TV and radio in New York city had already um, sent them a request to be an author about that book, about the history. And she said, well, we do have somebody, but, how about you send me a sample of your writing? So I, I hadn't even written anything, but I, it was all in my head and, and mm -hmm. all, all my notes on, on all the multiple you know, visits. And so I wrote a chapter about the fractured fairy tales and sent it to them, you know, by snail mail. <laughs> and, uh, and she um, wrote back uh, saying, uh, we're very pleased with your writing style and we'd like to put you in, in, in the running. And this was like November of 90. And in March of 1991, I get a letter from her daughter, Tiffany, on the day I'm traveling to the US on one of my many trips there. This is sheer coincidence. This letter from Tiffany Ward saying, um, 
we uh, at Jay Ward Productions are ready to go forward with the book and we have approved you as our author of choice. So there you oh, go. So that's, cool. that's what it was. So in that was enough for me to begin on that trip. When I got there, I thought, well, I, I took the letter with me just, you know, to, to show, you know, that fear. You wrote this. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, she gave me uh, the the address of Howard Brandy, who was Jay Ward's old friend, who was a publicity guy who used to work mm -hmm. for them and accompanied him on that mad trip that he did to Washington in 1962, where he got caught in the Cuban missile crisis and, um, Mussolvania, you know, um, and, uh, he had his old Rolodex. He gave me the, the phone numbers of all the people who I interviewed for the book, Bill Hertz, the director, you know, and all these people that you'll see in, in the, my interviews, um, and so the, the the job really began while I was there on that trip. And when I got home, I started doing, again, shows you how technology's changed. Back back in 91, I started doing international phone calls to do interviews. So now you, you could do Zoom or whatever um, with all these people. And I fortunately, I, I was I had an ability to take very accurate, quick notes of, of mm -hmm. what they were saying. So everything in that book I stand by is very accurate. I've... I've uh, I, I, I tried to be self-critical, but I haven't noticed too many things that I was, um, oh, my God, why did I put that? There was not that moment, you know. Uh, and, of course, most of them approved it because I, I, I was started to send chapters as it was being written. Uh, and, and even Jay Ward's widow, was she'd give me tiny little things. Like she, she colored in that story of when he was hit by the truck, and that's why... Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of people said, gee, that chapter reads like you really were there. You know, it's because of the families uh, ha have accepted me now. So I've got that credibility and they're telling me things that they probably hadn't discussed with people before. So uh, that's that's where it really became uh, this sudden realization of, gee, you know, I better take this really seriously because they're treating me like a historian, you know. That's uh, really that, cool. That's yeah, yeah, it, it was really fascinating the way it all sort of unfurled, you know. But lucky, lucky for me, I wrote that chapter on fractured fairy tales, and something about my writing appealed to them, you know. <laughs> well, they knew just like we know how important and how special that book was. Um, right. I'd right. be remiss not to ask, man, when they sent you that letter, said we would love for you to write the definitive, yes. you know, definitive history on Jay Ward. Do you have that hanging up? Did you keep that letter? It, I've, I've got it in a big filing cabinet full of Jay oh. Ward stuff. Like a, it's and it's filed away, but I know exactly where to find that letter. <laughs> that's that's so cool. That's yeah. such a piece of history. Now, right? Obviously, when you when you wrote this book, you you got firsthand interviews. You know, you're talking to people, friends, family members of everybody sure. that was involved, and then you really got a peek behind the curtain. You know, the Wizard of yes. Oz, but the Jay Ward production. You had to peek behind it. Um, with that being said, and everything that you've collected through the years between uh, interviews to art and anything else you might have had from the J Ward, have you gotten a chance to do or uh, have you thought about doing, you know, an, an art of J Ward for a museum pop? You see them pop ups and art museums all the time for different kind of exhibits. But have you ever thought about trying to get a whole bunch of you guys that have collected stuff through the years to do a, a, an art of J Ward Productions? Well, there was a there was a book written with that exact title. Did you see that yeah. one? That Darryl no, I Vance didn't know. It's excellent. Yes, I did. Uh, yes, I, I did. Yes, yeah. I did. I I knew I was going to say Daryl because he's another guy yeah. I like to. Yeah, hi. Oh, yeah, he's he's also a, a very good person to interview. But he he um 
couldn't have been nicer to me calling me the person who wrote the original book about Jay Ward Productions, but, but he, he got to do what, what my publisher didn't allow me to do and put a whole bunch of colour throughout yeah. his book. Uh, it was all to do with cost reasons, I guess. But uh, um, I mean, I'm super happy with the book that I did as it came out, but I always had this kind of thing. Maybe I should do another a follow-up. Well, Daryl turned out he did it. But you'll notice if you if you go to the end credits of the book, my name's mentioned about 75 times because I supplied art that it was originally intended for the book I had in mind uh, for his book. So, uh, so if anyone has got the visual history of Jay Ward in their archives, it's Daryl. And I think he'd be the one to ask that question too. Um, see, the only difficult thing about me living here is the physical act of collecting stuff. I would still have to make yeah. multiple trips back and forth to the States. And that even became difficult when I was writing another book I, I, I wrote recently about uh, the early theatrical cartoon voices, like from 1930 to 70 before television. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, I'd written most of it, but uh, wanted to do a bit more research in New York. Suddenly COVID hit and three years you couldn't travel internationally. So, you know, mm -hmm. so that put paid to that. But uh, these things are sent to test us. <laughs> are you still working on that book now or did that kind of get shelved for? No, no, no that's, that's been published. Uh, in fact, yeah. I've got it here supporting my microphone at the moment. Uh, it's this book. It's oh, cartoon voices! I've got that one upstairs. I, I, it cut out oh, when you, you said that. Oh. When you said the voice, yeah, I bought that one after because uh, when you go on Amazon, it says you know if you like this one or more by this author. Oh, right. So right. yeah, yes. I, I, I picked that one up. That one's next. I've, uh, I was, I actually, um, I've been doing a huge deep dive into King of the Hill and World War II has come up right. a lot. I'm a huge fan of World. You're not supposed to say you're a huge fan of war. I'm a huge fan of reading about the World War II era leading oh, up me to post World War. Definitely. It's yeah, such a too. fascinating it's, time. It's especially in American history. It's fascinating to me. The movies, the uh, the newscasts that I've got from old time radio, like I'm not talking fiction and drama. Mm -hmm. I'm talking the actual newscasts that were happening each day as the war was progressing from 41 to 45. Uh, so again, like you, I've got that interest. Uh, it's a very deep interest. No, it's so cool. I'm reading this one book. You might know a little bit more about it than I do. I actually listened to a podcast and I heard about it and then I went and bought the book. You you ever heard of the name of Access Sally? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The um, I, I think I've got one tiny recording of her somewhere. The lady was fucking batshit crazy, I know, man. Oh, I mean, man. Yeah. Well, started in like, Hollywood. Like in England, they had the equivalent was Lord Haw Haw who, uh, again, had this very, very posh sort of English voice <laughs> like that, but he was broadcasting on behalf of the Nazis. He was a, like a spy, you know, spying on England um, and, and making fun of the English with that voice, but he was a, he was a Nazi uh, sympathizer. And the same thing with Axis Sally. So it's like there's, there's all these bizarro things that happened in that war, you know? It, it, it It's always baffling because I'm, I'm reading that mm -hmm. book now and I've I've got... I, I went on this, my wife looked, <laughs> my wife came, I love her, but she looked at me like real, real, real weird. I, she was like, you ordered another book? And I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah. you know, you just ordered four in the last week. I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm reading them. She was like, yeah, 
yeah, but you've ordered four in the last week. And I was like, she's like, just calm down, you know, give it a week or two before you order another one. But yeah, it's, uh, I get, I get is, that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's crazy because it's like, much like with animation, I always feel like I'm behind with the history. Yeah, I so I, I'm yeah. trying to yeah. consume and, and retain as much as possible. Right. And yeah. with it's just been, so I've, I've done it this way. So I have one book that I'll read in animation and then I go to mm -hmm. world war two and then I go back right. to animation. I come back to world war two. That way I don't burn yeah. myself out of, you know, either, know. either topic. I know. It's, it's like me. I have to now divide my time between hobbies that are all encompassing. Like uh, I'll read a book about film noir back in the forties. Mm -hmm. And then, then I'll I'll go back to um, reading about old time radio and what it was like back in the in that era, and then I devote time to animation. So it, it, these 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 things end up consuming you. <laughs> I, I'm, boy I'm oh well boy, aware. do they? <laughs> um, man, I don't know where. And we're then going the, and then one. you meet a lot of a lot of people in real life. You'll meet and say, "What are you interested in that garbage for?" You know, it's like these these are what I call the dumb people. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're very dumb. It, it's funny because this uh, this topic actually came up at work, um, and it was right. funny because it was uh, I, I don't know I don't know what it was I don't know if it was like a backwards backwards back backhanded compliment, um, but I'm right. sitting there and then this there's this kid he's like 16 17 years old and he's a dishwasher, and then he's talking about the Civil War for America, and I'm listening right. to him and he's talking to another 16 17 year old, and I go that's not right. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, that didn't happen that way. And I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember the topic, but it, it right. divulged into like a 20 minute conversation. And my chef overhears it. And he was like, you seem to know a lot about that shit. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I know a lot about World War II. And then he looks yeah. and he's like, you must be a Republican. And I was like, well, what the fuck does that supposed to mean? And he was <laughs> like, well, Republicans, Republicans like war. And I was like, maybe i guess so but even then i was like you should know where you've come from and i can't remember the president yeah. that said i want to say it was teddy roosevelt um yeah. you know uh he he says that if you don't know the past you're doomed to repeat it something along those yeah. lines i'm That's, you know, i know paraphrasing. what you mean yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just, I, I tell him that. And he just looks at me. He's like, I don't have time for that shit. And I was like, yeah, dude, you should right. have time. Yeah. Cause a yeah, lot of the stuff that's going on right now is mirroring 1941, 1940, yeah. 1939 with the invasion of Poland and, and Nazi yeah. Germany. You can see it happening right now. And it's just like, dude, you guys got to like sit here and be aware of this shit, man. I know. I know. And, and uh, it bugs me that, you know, so much of, history now is dismissed I, I call it the um the 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 iphone generation the instant yes. instant gratification um uh, where they don't want to take the time to learn out of books because or libraries because uh hey it's all on google well a lot of wikipedia stuff is is, is okay and a lot of it's inaccurate you know mm -hmm. uh, and uh you know i just despair sometimes that uh there is this attitude of ah, the past, you know, who cares? You know, um, to me, it's just so fascinating, you know? It really is. And you, you yeah. read these firsthand accounts. I've always, I was in the Navy for about seven and a half years. Um, so right. I got to see Pearl Harbor. I got to mm -hmm. see and go by the memorials that are there. You know, I got to see these ships right. that yep. were still there. Uh -huh. You know, when I went to Pearl Harbor the first time, I was right. 19 years old. I was at the memorial when there was a Pearl Harbor survivor. We were moored wow. at Ford Island right across the bay. You could, or right across the harbor, excuse me, you could see yeah. 
what they saw in December 7th, 1941. You look yeah. across where our sh- my ship was moored, the mm. USS Emory S. Landon, AS-39. It was a right. subtender. I think they were 1971, 72. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've thought about this ship. But 1970s mm. generally is when this ship was was uh, created. It was um, you know sent out to the fleet and were moored in Ford Island. You're looking so when you're on when you're on the ship and you're on duty, you're roving the ship, right? You're making sure nobody's wow. coming on. You're geared up with guns and and flak jackets, yeah. and you're trying to make sure the ship is safe. I just happened to look up and across the across from where we're moored, Ford Island, there's the hangar bay. You can still see the bullet holes. From when the Japanese wow. came in and strafed bullet holes. Jeez. Yeah. You know, this is 2010 is when I'm over there. So that's what yeah. 60, 71 years at that point. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, holy shit. It was one of the most surreal experiences I've ever experienced in my life. And especially if you if you've also got a survivor there. I mean, that that half of them are now gone, even the the ones who survived years and years. Um, so you you're you're actually that that is kind of on a different level it's like me talking to some of these old-time radio actors who were in their very senior years by the time i got to meet them but their minds were still sharp and it is like living history you know mm-hmm. to hear yeah. these people in their memories instead Dude. of the fictionalized or the or the historical books or or whatever uh, you're hearing it from someone who who was eyewitness that is that's kind of mind-blowing it really is and when you think about like him talking and obvious, like like I said, that seventy years ago is when that happened. I, roughly, yeah. you know, sixty seventy years ago when it happened. When I was there, because I was there two thousand ten, and I'm hearing yeah. this guy talk about him running on the beach trying to get to his friends and he couldn't, or trying to say get away because people are like the planes are literally dropping bombs yeah. and torpedoes and strafing the beaches. They're killing everything yeah. in sight, and you hear this, and it's just like you can. I don't know if if this is me just ex- wanting to think this, but I'm sitting there, I'm listening to him talk, and I'm watching him talk. And then as I'm watching him, I can tell he's reliving it. I can tell he's going through it. He can see it beat yeah. by beat. He's in his 90s at this point, or you know, late right. 80s. He's sitting yeah. here beat by beat. He's reliving every single second, and he starts crying, and I start crying, yeah. and everybody yeah. there starts yeah. crying. Right. It was a collective group think that we all sat there and shared in this man's grief for 15 yeah. minutes, whatever it was, wow. when he was telling us the story. That is amazing because uh, I, I would imagine anyone that old um, and and their mind was still active. Something as momentous as that day would be as vivid 50, 60 years later as it as it was the first day it happened. Uh, and that you've just proved that by what your description of that. Uh, yeah. Hearing that speech. But uh, I mean, it's similar in like uh, the few moments that are captured in old radio collections that are actuality, not not fiction, like the Hindenburg disaster in 37. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is amazing to listen to if you get a good quality recording of it, um, where the guys sees the Zeppelin suddenly explode, fly in over New Jersey and then suddenly exploding. And, and you, his sudden mood just changes. And it's like uh, that tiny bit that was captured before the machine shut off, where he suddenly starts crying as he's talking and saying, and that famous line where he says, oh, but ladies and gentlemen, oh, the humanity, you know, and it's like, uh, this is living history. My God, you, you get goosebumps. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. so many moments where I think back. Um, I, I've, there's so many things that you shouldn't be fans of, but I'm a fan of. 
one of the the other ones was 11 63 that date will forever yeah. be burnt in here yeah. it was the day that jfk was assassinated yeah. right that's right so just going back and then reading all of this stuff because when you go through yeah. boot camp you know obviously they're not going to talk about the jfk assassination but they, no. you, they do hit you on specific dates you know d-day normandy you got to know those dates you know yep. the significance you need to know the pacific theater you need december 7th 1941 this is yep. one of my favorite stories about boot camp like so whenever i hear one song you remember back to the future oh yeah yeah so you remember the song Johnny Be Good that was yeah. that Marty Chuck, McFly Chuck played? Berry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Chuck Berry, right? So that song was my drill instructor in boot camp's favorite song to beat us yep. to, right? And right, by beat right. us to, he made us run in place for hours wow. singing wow. this song, right? And what's <laughs> what's it's it's one of those it's one of those um, bittersweet memories because Back to the Future is the greatest trilogy of all time. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It holds such a special oh, yeah. place in my heart. Um, yeah. And that song, whenever it comes up, I think about as a kid, how much fun I had watching this movie. And then when I became an adult, I think, I, I think about how much misery I had singing this song <laughs> for hours. Right. Yeah. So when I think about these dates, like December 7th, 1941, it's bittersweet because I got to experience oh, yeah. that with the Pearl Harbor exciver. Uh, yeah. 11 63 it was the day america essentially changed forever yeah right you know yeah. it was completely different after that you know and then it you've was. got the 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 lunar landing up in the moon you've got you know nixon being kicked out you've got reagan yeah. being shot you've got clinton coming in with his stuff bush coming in with his stuff and the one that that sticks out the most is september 11th 2001 i was in sixth yeah. grade you yeah. know what i mean wow Wow. It's just these dates stick out to you. And it's like, it's, it's, yeah. you go back and you watch a, a time stamp or a time. Yeah. What is the word I'm looking for? A piece of time. You go back and you watch an interview, you go back and watch a newscast from any of these things and you see That's people right. being real. You know, you see, oh, yeah. was yeah. it Tom Brokoff mentioning the president has been killed. The towers yes, are going right. down on September t- yeah. you know, 11th. Well, and also the, the um, I mean, I collect a lot of that. I've got a, a lot of it that I transferred from my old VHS collection to, mm-hmm. you know, those burned DVDs. And I've put them all in categories. But again, with my love of history, I've collected a lot of stuff about those dates that you've mentioned, a lot of the documentaries about JFK's assassination, the different theories, the just the historical side of it, where you see the old black and white footage of, Walter mm-hmm. Cronkite taking his glasses off and wiping away a tear and saying, uh, we've just heard that President Kennedy is dead, you know, and and that sort of thing. And it's like, all of that gives me goosebumps. I, even, the, the you know, um, Pearl Harbor, December 7, I've got the whole 90-minute speech that Roosevelt did, not just that famous little yes, one day in infamy. Yeah. Yesterday, December seventh, you know. So all of these, and I over the years, I suppose in voiceovers, I've done some gigs which are like little mini documentaries where they've had me do an impression, like a realistic one, not a funny thing, not a, not a nightclub voice, but uh, a realistic one of LBJ or Kennedy or one of these voices, because the original footage is a bit crackly, mm-hmm. and they've they've equalized it to sound like it was so little job like that where i've really trained myself to try and be as authentic as i possibly can with these voices because again it's my my love of history you know so i don't want it to sound like a mickey take i I want it to sound like the real person just for those few words they need replaced you know who's who's the president you can slip into the easiest with your impressions 
Probably these days it'd be Donald Trump because he's uh, he's just so <laughs> so uh, so completely and utterly distinctive. Yeah, you know, but a million people do him. I, I mean, I I when when I've had cruise ship jobs where I've had a whole American crowd, older people, uh, I've done this routine where I do every president in one sentence, morphing from one to to the other, from Kennedy right up to date. You know, so uh, it starts off with uh, it was about Kennedy going up. Uh, and so are my fellow Americans, I say to you, you know, and uh, and then and then I, I break into Lyndon B. Johnson. And it goes all the way through uh, past uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> That's really fucking cool, man. <laughs> yeah, I've always been fascinated. I, I get a laugh halfway through it because I do all of these voices uh, like uh, from Nixon, uh, Gerald Ford, uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, who was next? Uh, Reagan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then George Bush Sr. And then Clinton. And instead of doing something serious for Clinton, I, I, I go, uh, and so my fellow Americans, I was, oh my God, look at the ass on her. Yeah. <laughs> it breaks the whole thing. So it suddenly gets this gigantic laugh because I've been doing accurate <laughs> stuff until. <laughs> what is what is your uh, President Obama sound like? I got to imagine it's pretty good. Yeah, I found him uh, more of a straight voice rather than a funny voice like Trump, because uh, uh, we we have had we have had a problem with some of these corporations who pay themselves outsized bonuses at the expense of down to earth Americans. So every time he said something, every time he spoke, his last word in a sentence would be one octave lower. <laughs> I've been so fascinated with folks like you. I mean, it's how you guys can, like I said, we were talking earlier, a voice can transport you back to whenever, sure, yeah. you know, it's oh, just yeah. it's the quickest piece, piece of time music, travel. Like, like Johnny Be Good, this is music. Oh, you right there where you were. Boy, yeah. oh boy, does it. I wake yeah. up in, there's, there's two sounds that I've woken up to with nightmares, right? The one of them, <laughs> have you ever worked in a restaurant before? No, I haven't worked in one, yeah. So there is a, we have a little, we have a little machine. It's called a, it's called a, it's funny. It's called a POS machine, right? Point of sale is what it means. But if you ask an American, it's a piece yeah. of shit, right? And most of the time your POS machines are really POSs. They're pieces of shit. But anyways, right. yeah, it sounds, it, it's, I can't, I'll send you an audio clip of, of what it sounds like. This right, yeah. sound has haunted my nightmares because I've woken <laughs> up many nights of sweat. I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't take the stock off or I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I'm woken <laughs> up by that. And it was just like the paper being fed through. And the other one I've woken up to is Johnny Be Good in nightmares and <laughs> a cold sweat thinking I'm running yeah. again. Um, but yeah. what I what I love about folks like yourself, you, you transform into the person. It's not just the voice. You know, right. for, for a split second there, you were doing the hand motions of Barack. You were doing oh, the hand oh, motions. Trump, Trump's little hand yep. move, movement. Yeah, you know, that's right. It, it's yeah. like all of these things, you know, it, it's just, it's so fascinating how somebody can just not only take their voice and, and 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 do that voice, but they can do the mannerisms too and match it with the cadence and match it with the voice that's coming out. I find it I mean, so fascinating. I, I probably try too hard with the historical people, like the real life people, because... Uh, mm -hmm. I think the ones who who make an audience laugh, they, they, there are some people who do Trump, and they do him like this, and they make him talk like that. But it's kind of very exaggerated because uh, 
I, I, I just find that the, the real Donald Trump just has a voice that uh, is funny in itself anyway, <laughs> with all that damage that he's done over the years to it. And now with Biden, again, it's like, uh, I suppose, you know, you know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel in a sense, because he, he obviously has some cognitive issues, you know, <laughs> but when you hear him, uh, I've I've I put his voice on on my landline phone and and just to put off telemarketers because most people use these little phones these days. But uh, um, so I've got Biden, you know, saying uh, I I haven't even played the recording of it for a while, but it's like, uh, uh, where am I, man? You know, and, <laughs> and then and then uh, at the end of it, I say, uh, well, I got I got to go now. I got to go and get President Obama's morning coffee. Bye. <laughs> Have I, so I asked this question to every voice actor I've ever had on. Have you ever used any of your characters that you've that you've gotten the chance to portray to get out of a ticket, to get out of a sticky situation? <laughs> Have you ever used uh, any of them? No, I never had that. Although the funny thing was when I when I was doing all this stuff in the 80s, in the old days of four channels only, you know, before mm -hmm. the TV revolution or before digital, um, I was quite well known in Australia because of some variety shows that I used to appear on doing stand-up impressions. And occasionally, like if I'd, I'd come back from a, an international trip to say LA and I'm coming back through customs at Sydney International Airport and they'd know me and they'd say, oh, it's the prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they used to see me on TV sending up all these politicians and things like that. So you'd get, sometimes they'd wave you through because they, they knew that you weren't some international criminal dealing drugs or something. So, <laughs> but that Just was the guy with it. the funny Just voices. One, get them on through Yeah, that's here. right. Yeah, yeah, go on through. <laughs> it used to get me out of a couple of little things, but no, no. I've, I'm a, lot, a lot of people say, have you ever used it uh, as a practical joke? Funny thing is I've never done that really. Uh, you'd think it would be something that people like us did all the time but no yeah. i never have probably just too busy to do it and also <laughs> the only time i ever was asked to do something like that was uh cbs records here in sydney back in the 70s uh, they had willie nelson and johnny cash and all these people who are still selling big time albums and they got me to do a, a conference called to all of the different states in australia where all their reps were listening in into mm -hmm. sydney and uh and I pretended to be Johnny Cash saying I was coming to Australia and how, and thanking them for promoting my latest record. And they all fell for it. It was because I didn't do them as, as you know, the send up of the quavery voice. I just, I just did Johnny Cash as if he was on the phone talking to him. So I want to thank you all. You've done such a great promotional job on my, and you could hear him say, Oh, thank you, Mr. Cash. <laughs> I fooled them all. <laughs> That's the only time I can think of. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Before we uh before we move off of the political figures here for a second, uh mm -hmm. any chance you've done a Winston Churchill? He's one of my favorite people yes, in history. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I do I, I sometimes would do him um and and just fracture one thing that he said to get a laugh, you know, like uh and so I say to all of you that we will, we will fight them. We will fight them in the hills, and we will fight them on the beaches. And when you're on the beaches, remember, stay between the flags. <laughs> so, you know, do things like that. But, uh, yeah, Churchill had a, 
one of the immortal voices of all time, you know. One of the greatest orators of all time. And then oh, his yeah. speeches. Yeah. My God, there's two speeches in particular that I always go back to. Oh, there's three, really. Uh, the JFK, right. when he's talking about the, um, uh, you know, the space travel to the moon and oh, everything, yeah. that yeah. that speech is, is just so prevalent. It's it's just right here. Obviously, the one you just did for Winston Churchill. And the other one was Eisenhower's speech with the industrial military complex. You ever heard oh, that one? Yeah. yeah, I have, but not for a while. Yeah, but I, oh. I did record even a documentary about Eisenhower off television. Mm-hmm. Because again, yeah. that era, era, the whole Ike era fascinates me because uh, a lot of people dismiss it as just, oh, the boring Republican years. But there was a lot happening in that time, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. America yeah. was changing. The world was changing. We were just yeah. coming out of Korea. Yeah. The possibility oh, yeah. of Vietnam was another thing. Just a few years later, you'd have the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah. it was a fascinating time in just world history. And, you know, again, it really and, just was. The, yeah. and the fact that it's so prevalent now with the industrial military complex, I, I don't want to get too political or, too, you know, too crazy out here, but it's just like, it's crazy what has happened before. And yet what mm. continues to happen, that whole, like I said, that oh, whole yeah. Teddy Roosevelt quote comes to it mind. It is, it is. I think, I think it is just a, a function of human nature that people are bound to keep repeating mistakes because it's all based on envy and uh, all the, what, the seven deadly sins, really. Envy and greed and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, what's one of the main things that I think causes all of misery in, 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 in the world is um, just uh, feelings of um, insecurity and people yeah. and it, it creates awful awful manifestations of hatred and all of this sort of stuff and uh, people saying things that they regret and <laughs> i don't want to get too heavy about it all but you know yeah i'm sure you you're on the same wavelength oh absolutely man there's so much right. more there's so many things that can connect us that we're a like-minded and everybody wants to have mm-hmm. a place for their kids to grow and prosper. Yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to be happy and healthy. You know, very, very few people out there really want people to be miserable. You know, there's a yeah. small percentage of people out there that it's, just don't give a shit. But it's amazing, amazing how much damage that small percentage is capable of doing, you know, yes, because it doesn't, it does infect some people who are on the good side and they end up, you know, making oaths of themselves too so it's like uh, when when does this end you know it's the uh, it's the old equation of the, the human condition <laughs> it's maybe one day we'll be able to you know wipe the cold out of our eyes and like look at each other and say yeah. oh man we're the fucking same you know you, you yeah. we're, me and you we're the same we're people that's yeah. all we are that's you right. talk that's differently it. than i do you've got a different accent yeah. than i do and we just we yeah. we like a lot of the same things i'm pretty sure we can find something to disagree oh, yeah. on but there's so many Probably. things that we're like then that's in. that's healthy you know there's slight yes. disagreements and things but i can remember a time i'm old enough to remember that uh, unlike today where it's left versus right uh, like mm-hmm. in almost cartoonish fashion um you would often see politicians of different stripes back then like here in australia for instance um on a tv debate and they they'd end up you know you'd this is only vivid in my mind but i guess i'm going back 40 years people would say something like well i i totally disagree with your point of view but um happy to shake your hand and i'll, I'll buy the first beer you know now you never <laughs> hear that it's like cancel no. culture and all this screaming and hatred and and people going nuts. It, it's, it's it's such a it's such a wild time to be a human being. I, you're saying the word time, which I think uh, I I just have a feeling one day it'll change, but uh, it may be a few more years yet. But it is a period that we're living through where it's like 
the wheel keeps turning, but it takes a long time to turn it back. <laughs> boy, oh boy, does it. Like I said, I'm hoping one day we can go back and and just treat each other nicely, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That's all you got to do, man. Yeah. Just... Well, I, I, there's a, an older comedian here that I, I remember saying years ago. He said, I don't believe in anything to do with race or creed or skin color or anything. He said, as far as I'm concerned, we're all human beings. He said, and we're divided into just two. Good people and assholes. <laughs> and that was it. That was his theory of the world. <laughs> it's it's a pretty accurate, it's in a pretty accurate summary on what on, on the world for real. Um I don't think when you came on and you said you'd love to come on the show, you think you talk about uh, some Eisenhower, some Churchill, some Pearl. Oh, well, stuff, I think all you? the voices lead to these things, but uh, although I can remember my my mentor of sorts was uh, a impressionist who's now gone called Will Jordan, who used to do the most accurate face of Ed Sullivan and people like that. And uh, mm -hmm. in fact, he was, uh, he played Ed Sullivan in that Billy Joel video with Rodney Dangerfield called tell her about yeah. it. And uh, he was a great impressionist. Uh, he did so many voices that people didn't know that he, he originated, but he noticed um, people who sounded alike. And he, he used to do a routine about Clark Gable, you know, being the biggest star in Hollywood back then. So, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, you know. And then he'd say, now there was an actor comes along, Robert Preston, who sounded very much like him, you know, like uh, 76 trombones, like the big grade. Hello, Clark. Hello, Bob. You know, and, and he'd go through all these. And finally, he said, nobody ever noticed this, but Dwight Eisenhower. He also had that kind of Clark Gable tone in his voice. And and he did, actually, sometimes when he made a speech. And it was like, only somebody like him would notice that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how many cadences are out there and how many people talk yeah. like. Because when you think oh, about yeah. it, when I, I go back and I look at some of the older the older movies from Hollywood, right? What did every right. gangster sound like in the 30s, yeah. 40s? And, man, see, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And then you kind of have that. Cartoon. Yeah. Well, now, oh, super now they're cartoony. The, several generations only know edward g robinson as as a guy with a cigar in his mouth like the frog <laughs> there was a that great clip, um, an old variety show from 1950 where edward g robinson was the guest and they had four guys doing an impression of him and mm -hmm. uh he finally rushes onto the stage and, and grabs him and says come on you guys i'm a i'm a, a serious trained actor i i i did broadway i did years of the yiddish theater and and he said, I, I, I don't believe that I talk like this. And listen to me, I'm talking to you. I didn't do that. <laughs> he ends up doing himself. <laughs> Very funny bit. But uh, yeah, the third it, wall. it is. It really is. And and I think you're right that, that the voices from those days, you can look back at a genre like horror. Mm -hmm. You think of Bela Lugosi, you know, I am Dracula, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or, or, uh, or, uh, of westerns you always think of john wayne or jimmy stewart or, or walter brennan people like that so it, it was so much easier to do impressions of people back in those days because they were larger than life you know uh you know i, I mentioned clark gable or, or people like uh, <clears throat> uh people like humphrey bogart yeah. you know um now you get actors because the style of acting today is so uh realistic and underplayed people like Ben Affleck and people like that. You could, you'd say they all have distinctive voices, but uh, I don't think an audience would know if I was doing uh, say Matt Damon's voice compared to John Wayne, you know, who's so, uh, well, you remember that John Wayne had that kind of voice that sounds pretty much like a cartoon character. 
but he was considered in those days a leading man and in, in movies you know like admittedly he you know he became that western um parody almost in these later years but uh you you take you know today you've got actors like tom cruise tom cruise very good diction but not much range in his voice it's pretty much like that you know that's mm. that's you, you can't do impressions of a lot of the to really do today's people and i'm thinking when i say today in the last 30 years of modern film era uh you'd need somebody who is now a grand old man like Jack Nicholson in his prime because uh, he was so completely distinctive. Mm -hmm. When he was young, he had that Chinatown kind of whine in his voice. And, and now later on, he, he became like a grand old man. <laughs> so, and, and even there, that's like, you have to learn to, to notice the changes in an actor's voice if they have a long career, you know? You do Morgan so, Freeman? Yeah, boy. I'm trying to remember the speech. Um uh about uh <laughs> oh I'm trying to think of that the 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 lines. Um the I always Shawshank. remember the, the yeah, the day that uh the day that uh and Andy Dufresne came to Shawshank. <laughs> always remember. Kind of a long, kind of a long drink of water with a silver spoon up his ass. <laughs> what uh, when you're flushing out? Uh, so I figure we've done enough uh, J word talk, and then I, I've already kept you for an hour and a half. So I, I keep it for just a little bit longer, a couple more questions. I don't want to keep sure, you too long. No, no problem. Um, whenever you're flushing out uh, a, a new character, or you're flushing out right. a new celebrity, or something along those lines. What do you look for first? Is there like an, I always hear people that do impressions. They look for like an entry point, I think is a yes. word they use. Yeah. Like, what yeah. do you look for uh, to, to mostly, get that mostly it's, there were, as I say, in the golden era, uh, there were so many voices that instantly had a hook that you could latch mm -hmm. onto. Uh, like, <clears throat> like John Wayne's lazy way of talking or, um, uh, in, in today's era, it would be an actor who died recently called like Alan Rickman, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Oh, turn, man, this is a tough one. Turn, turn to page 394. Young Potter. You know. <laughs> uh, so back then, I think it would be somebody somebody like James Mason who had a, another very distinctive English voice like that. So the, the voices that are uh, really stand out as uh, are instant game for, for people like us. And... Uh, um, so it has to be something that's recognizable because you mostly your work is to the public and they don't take this as, as deeply as, uh, as people like us do. So uh, it's got to be instantly um, recognizable to them and also have a, a joke attached to it too, because they, mm -hmm. they're not historians. <laughs> Most of them are just people in the audience who just want a, a bit of entertainment for a minute, you know? So there's all these little things to consider. But really, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it's just uh, and and fortunately, the world is blessed with such a whole a wide range of great voices too, you know. So when I do a a, a stage show, um, because I can also sing. See, I studied singing voices the same as I studied speaking voices, just by listening and trying to do it. And um, so I just do I present a whole thing where I do cartoon characters in one section, movie stars, 
politici politicians' voices and singing voices and some old English stand-up stand comics that are known in Australia. And it's like a little trip down memory lane. That's my whole mm -hmm. act, you know. And um, you get all these people who... who the main comment that I get from uh, people my age or older is... Uh, Oh, you, you you brought back so many memories because <laughs> you never see that sort of entertainment much on on mainstream TV anymore. You know, it's all this awful reality era stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and that I'm not going to try and impersonate. It's it's already yeah. it's already a, a, a gross impression. <laughs> <laughs> what what comes first? I mean, does the voice come first? Do the mannerisms come first? What do you start to workshop first? With, with me, it's the voice. Uh, with some other guys that I used to know, like Frank Gorshin, it was the face. He 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 used to say to me, "I'm not really a a voice man like Rich Little." He said uh, it has to because he was a trained actor. He said, "With me, it's the visual look, the walk, or the uh, a certain way they stand, or their mm -hmm. facial expression." But with me being so much more into voices, it was always uh, like. When Star Wars came out, it was the beginning of what I call the modern film era that we are now living through uh, compared to the old classic age. And um, suddenly in one movie, I had three voices that were still distinctive, like the old days. It was like, uh, um, at last, where have you been, you rusted old pile of magnesium? Where are those transmissions you intercepted? What have you done with those plans? <sighs> and then I noticed that one of my favorite English actors, from the old Vic and from Shakespeare, Alec Guinness, is in a sci-fi film. <laughs> so they're, they're the way, that's the way my head works, you know. <laughs> That's really cool, man. Just how you can slip into this. Now, you've dropped his name twice now, and he was actually my first Riddler, so Frank Gorshin, man. Yes. Um, I, if you, you like the cool old Batman show. Yeah. Oh, 1966 Batman. I yes. was raised on this I one. This it. one was, yeah. I saw this before I saw, like, the definitive Batman for me was Batman the Animated Series with Kevin Conroy's right. Batman, yes. Mark Hamill as he, the Joker. He just you know? sadly passed away. Yeah, it's, that one was yeah. like a tough, like, <laughs> There's been like two deaths uh, in recent memories of just like my childhood just going, right? So the first yeah. one was when Robin Williams passed away. Yes, Robin Williams, in yeah. my opinion, greatest actor of all time. His range, oh, yeah. unlimited. Yeah. His energy, yeah. unmatched. I mean, it's oh, just yeah. what he could do. And he made me smile. So it took me five or six years to be able to watch a movie after he passed away. It was very difficult. I know, I know, yeah. And yeah. Then Kevin Conroy passed away, like another yeah. another voice, another piece of my childhood. When I read my Batman comics, I still read it and I hear his voice. His voice, I still yeah, read that's through. right. Oh, it's it's so iconic. But he had like a wonderful, a... deep, resonant voice too. I I, I love Kevin Conroy's um, just his speaking voice. You know, oh, it was if so he was powerful. Being, if he was being interviewed, yeah, that's right. But yeah, wow. I met him just once, very briefly, at the June Foray Memorial uh, that mm -hmm. they held in, in uh, Hollywood, and. Uh, he was very pleasant, but uh, he didn't, it, to me, to be honest with you, he didn't look that well. And I thought, hmm, you know, I yeah. wonder if he's, uh, and sure enough, here it was like five years later and he's gone, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, just a piece of my childhood just yeah. gone. And they really, like whenever you start losing the people you look up yeah. to, it really starts to make you think about your own mortality. It, does, um, it really did, did with me because uh, all the ones that I've talked about in the first part of our chat today, um, 
were when I was young. And, and to me, it's the passage of time that's scary because I look back and I think that was 40, 50 years ago. And it still seems vividly in my memory that I'm this young kid walking into Dawes Butler's home studio in his backyard. All of those people who are my iconic people, and I can include Frank Gorshin, I got to know him quite well. Um, they're all gone. And now I'm a senior and it really brings you into the sense of mortality. And, and mm -hmm. that's why I, it's only now that I, as I've said to you, I can look back and say, I never noticed how lucky I was meeting all these people. It was like a childhood thing come true several times over. And while it was happening, it was, it was lovely and fascinating, but I didn't think my God, I'm lucky, but boy, I sure was. You know, it, it, it's it's so wild the perspective we get as we get older yeah and yeah i i've i've mentioned this a couple times uh you know i i did not have fun when i was in the military i was a very young father when uh right. i joined yeah. so right. i joined when i was 2008 housing market crashed here in the states yes, so everything right. went to shit right yeah. i couldn't find a job for six months i'm with the lady the that i was with the global in. downturn yeah that's oh, right oh man it it yeah. sucked, you know, and then I find out that my wife is pregnant and I was like, oh, shit, uh, I need yes. to kind of get a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I joined the military um, mm -hmm. and uh, I never wanted to. I wanted to go to culinary yeah. school since I was 12 years old. Right. So I joined the right. military yeah. and instantly I'm go through boot camp. I, yeah. It is what it is. You know, I, I was just very depressed, yeah. very, well, very they, far they away whip from you into life. shape. I know that. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, did they. Um, yeah. I had a, I had an instructors that liked to run, but it was just the mm. consistent being gone. And then for the first three years of my, um, well, first four years of my son's life, I was deployed. Um, so right. 19 years old or no, I just turned 20. We had our first child. Um, and then I deployed two months after he's born, gone for everything, gone wow. for anniversaries, yeah. Christmases, everything. Yeah. And yeah. while I was going, while I was going through that, I could not appreciate what I was doing. I couldn't mm -hmm. appreciate being in a different country. Yeah. I couldn't appreciate being seeing a different culture. I couldn't appreciate yeah. that I was in a place, a little island called Diego Garcia. Most people shit on this island because um, it's it's a year tour. You cannot bring your family. Mm -hmm. It's deployed. You're away from everybody. It's a thousand miles in any direction of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't appreciate the beauty of this island. I couldn't appreciate anything because all I did was I missed my home. I missed my yeah. wife. I missed my country. Yeah. I missed my son. I missed my dogs. Right. And it wasn't until probably a couple years ago, like when everybody, but when anybody would ask me about the military, I was like, man, it fucking sucked, dude. Don't do it. I hated it. Yada, yada, yada. And I sit here and reflect. I was like, why do I think that? And I was like, mm -hmm. I think that because for a very short period of time, I didn't get to be with my family, but yeah, what I no, did yeah. get to do, right. What I did get to do, not just go to see places and be, be, you know, see different cultures and see different places. I was able to buy my first house. Mm -hmm. I was able to buy my car, buy my wife's car. Yeah. I am the only kid on both sides of my mom and dad's side that has a high school and a college degree. Like my older right. sister, my younger sister and brothers, they all have their high school diplomas. I'm the mm -hmm. first kid on either side to have a fucking diploma from college. Yeah. Yeah. And that was all afforded to me by the military. I got hurt, my yes. neck and my back, I fucked it up. But yeah. I, I got something that nobody else in my family has gotten the chance to do. Yeah. And when I started yeah, I know thinking they were about benefits. It, yeah, of a yeah, absolutely. Like that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah. When I start thinking about that, I was like, fuck, dude, why couldn't I appreciate this? Why was I such an mm. asshole? to my younger self, right? Thinking that this all sucked. Nothing good yeah. came from it. 
when all of this good stuff did come from? I didn't yeah, have the time is, to sit there you and smell to, the roses. You have to get to the age that you're at really to be able to to reflect back and see mm -hmm. because you're a different person. I, I I do think people change every 10 years. They're different to what they used to be. And, yeah. and of course, when you're young, you were always impatient, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, and you were you you were ripped away from uh, what was comfortable, especially with family yeah. and, and pets and so on. Um, so I can well understand that that it doesn't surprise me that you had those conflicting feelings. Yeah, but it's it just wild that just the last couple yeah. of years I've been able to yeah. like accept it. Like, and I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with the fact that I smoke a lot of weed now. I eat a lot of THC for edibles and stuff like that because it helps me. <laughs> As you get older, when you're younger, you just said it, go, 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 go. And yeah. patient, oh, yeah. you want to get there. You yeah. you don't want to miss out. You get your mirror that, uh, what's that, what's that phrase that's going around? Fear of missing out, FIFO or whatever. Yeah, that's fear right. Yeah. Out. yeah. FOMO. That's what it is. Um, yeah. And then as I've gotten older, I've noticed that I'm like, no, man, I need to slow down. Time is going mm. by too quickly. I oh, blink yeah. and it's Friday. I'm going to blink yeah. and go to sleep and tomorrow is going to somehow be Monday. You know, it just goes That's by right. like this. And what yeah. weed does, it helps me slow down. It helps me compartmentalize. It helps me put into right. perspective the shit I'm supposed to. You're supposed to be enjoying the ride of life. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to sit back in your 70s, 80s, and 90s if you make it that long and think, fuck, why didn't yeah. I try that? Why didn't I experience yeah. that? Why didn't I just stop for just a second yeah. and just hang out and meditate for a little bit? You know what I mean? I know. I know. Yeah. I've had plenty of time, I suppose, in a showbiz life to have time to myself, which gives me mm -hmm. a lot of time to think these things through. But again, when I was so busy as a young person, I was, I had a family and, and uh, was making money and, and uh, all of that. And that was the only thing that mattered back then. So a lot of these more reflective feelings have only hit me later in life. And I'm much mm -hmm. older than yourself. Um, but it is, I think it's, uh, it's, it's the way we all end up, you know, and I'm lucky that I did what you just said and took those chances about going to America and doing those things, because now I know looking back, I would have been sitting here thinking, why didn't I do that? Mm -hmm. And I, fortunately I did, uh, because you'd be kicking yourself for the rest of your life, you know, absolutely. Thinking, maybe I would have had a chance. Well, I did, you know. I was uh, I was lucky. I mean, I worked very hard at, at the talent that I have, but a lot of nice things happened to me along the way. And and it's like, uh, I'm very grateful for it now, instead of just thinking, yeah, that all happened. I'm really becoming far more uh, uh, aware of just how lucky I was has been the theme of my talk with you, you know? Absolutely. And if uh, anybody is lucky here, man, it's me, because not only did I get to chat with you for the last almost two well, hours... I got kind. to, oh, your, your, your book gave me so much joy. Like I said, I could not put this book down. You know, I, I kept flipping, flipping, flipping. Um, this book has, has opened my eyes to a, to a, to a little studio that almost right. never was yes, one exactly. little, yeah. one little inch to the left or the right. And Jay wouldn't have been here. You know what I mean? That's right. So all, oh, yeah. of, all of these things that happen through life, it's so fascinating that in just one he just woke up late that day or yeah, he was yeah. early that day. And then that goes yeah. for anybody's life. It could not have happened. You could have chosen yeah. to not come to the States. You could have not won that contest. You know, yes. all of these different avenues life takes us down. And if you don't go down the right path, you might be doing something else. But I was so lucky yeah. to find your book. 
I don't know how it happened. I don't, I just probably just picked up, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle and your book came up, but I'm so glad it came in here. And I'm so glad you were on my show, man. Like I said, thank you for this book and thank you for your time tonight. It has been a real well, pleasure talking with you. Julian, it's been great meeting you and uh, I loved being on the show. And uh, it's one of the few podcasts where uh, I haven't just done funny voices and all that. I've got to know the person interviewing me as a human being instead of just a, a, a cartoon fan, you know, in, in yeah. inverted commas. So uh, it's been a, a real pleasure and I'm sure we will reconnect at some point uh, and, and talk more. And uh, to all Absolutely. of your... To all of your viewers, you're, you're watching a quality podcast here with this guy, and uh, I wish you all the best, and uh, just just been very enjoyable. Thanks very much. Thank you, Keith, man. Well, he's been Keith. I've been chilling. It's been the What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Bye-bye. Or, or either the, either the, either the, either, that's all, folks. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Before we go, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with the podcast today. I truly appreciate every download and listen we get. If you're liking what we're doing, drop us a five-star rating, drop us a review, tell a friend, and I'll see you next week.